Everyone wants to belong. It doesn't matter who you are, we all have this innate desire to belong. We have a longing for belonging. And I think that God created us that way on purpose because the very first thing God ever says in Scripture that's not good is that man was alone. God's created a lot of different avenues and opportunities for us to find that connection in relationships, but what we do with it is really up to us because everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits, and Satan also wants you to feel like you have to belong his way, and he wants to put different obstacles and pressures in your path in order to find a pathway to belonging. But let's talk about what is the best way to belong. What's God's way to belong? Because Satan definitely has a path that he wants you to feel pressured to go down in order to belong. Because if not, he puts out the pressure and the feeling that if you don't go his path, you're going to be isolated. You're going to be by yourself. Nobody's going to like you. Nobody's going to want to be around you. Everyone's going to talk about you, make fun of you, or that whatever you're struggling with, you're the only one who's dealing with it. So you can't dare open up or share or talk to other people and look for help because what if they find out what you're really doing or what you're really struggling with? And so he uses that fear of isolation to keep us from reaching out for help he keeps us afraid of rejection. He keeps us afraid of being made fun of. And so he also uses that fear to lead us down another path that he has, and that's the path of compromise. He wants to put the pressure on us to try to do things that are outside of our values, that are outside of the Word of God, so that we will just go, okay, you know what, it's, uh, it, it's not that big of a deal. I would rather be accepted by this group of people. Everyone else seems to be doing it, getting away with it. Everyone else seems to be okay. And so you will feel like if you compromise, you'll gain that approval, you'll gain that acceptance. Otherwise, you're going to be all by yourself. You're going to be rejected. And you will compromise your values. You'll compromise the scriptures. And you will create alternate realities to convince other people you're something that you're not just to gain acceptance. Because that's the pseudo path to belonging. And Satan loves to paint that picture. And so, so many people feel the pressure to alter themselves, even physically. Like, I have to look a certain way. I have to, you know, dress a certain way. I have to talk a certain way. And so, we feel this pressure to go down that path. I have to tell the dirty joke. I have to laugh at the dirty joke at work. Or I have to watch certain TV shows to be able to talk around the water cooler or in the break room. I have to, you know, act a certain way and behave a certain way and, and be okay with certain things in society if I want to be accepted and if I want to truly belong. But it's not real, and it's not the best way to belong. It's a pseudo-connection. It's a false connection, and it's contrary to the way that God has set up for us to connect. I remember when I was a kid, I had a pseudo-connection. I had a false connection that I thought was real, but it was only based off of an illusion that I had created. When I was a little kid, all of my friends, it seemed, had four-wheelers because all their dads were big deer hunters, right? And everybody who was a hunter had a four-wheeler to be able to go out into the woods and carry their gun, to carry their stand, to carry all the equipment they needed to go out and hunt. And all my buddies would talk at school about how they would go four-wheeler riding and how they would get stuck in the mud and how it took two other four-wheelers to pull them out. And they'd tell these great stories. And I wanted in. 
because I was afraid of missing out. I was afraid of not being a part of what was going on. So guess what? I made up and lied about the fact as a child that I had a four-wheeler. And my four-wheeler was a really cool one, by the way. It was the best. It had the biggest, baddest, most expensive tires on it that could just dig, you know, in the mud and wouldn't get stuck and had a big winch on the front of it that I could pull other people out with. You know, it had this great big motor in it that was just so awesome and it was so great and it was just the coolest four-wheeler on the planet. Well, that created a problem for me whenever my friends would come spend the night or come over for a play date and they would want to see this four-wheeler that I had created. And of course, I, being uh, this person creating this fantasy, had a good excuse. I thought about this in advance. Oh, it's in the shop. You know, I just need to get some extra work done or it's getting a new paint job. It's going to be so stinking cool. Or we're getting some new tire upgrades for it, some new shock upgrades for it. There was always some excuse that I had to why that four-wheeler was not at my house. And eventually my friends kind of caught on. I wasn't quite as sharp as I thought I was that, uh, yeah, Derek probably doesn't even have a four-wheeler. But for a season, I felt accepted. I felt like they thought I was cool, like I finally belonged. And so that was the path that I chose to go down to seek belonging. And yeah, we can laugh about that and say, oh, that's funny that you did that as a kid. But people still do that today as adults because they buy into the lie that they have to change who they are or make up an alternate reality in order to be accepted. They'll even do that in Christian circles to where we feel like we have to put forth and project this idea of who we are and get people to buy in to this fantasy because we feel like if they knew who we really were, they wouldn't accept us. And that's a pathway that the enemy gets so many people to take. But here's the good news. There is a better way. And God has created that better way for you and for me because we experience belonging best in Christ-centered community. We experience belonging best in Christ-centered community. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is supposed to unite us as believers, as followers of Jesus. And so as we share in this unity, this is the best way to belong. And Scripture talks about this explicitly in several different passages, but let's just look at a few. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's see what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul's making the argument here that unity matters And what brings us together should matter more than what separates or what divides us. He's telling them, you're called to this. 
We need to understand that we are to love each other, that what brings us together should be greater than what would want to pull or push us apart. Because remember, there's one faith, there's one hope, he said. There's one baptism, there's one God, there's one spirit. And so love each other, be unified. Remember, Jesus said that's the calling card, that's the billboard that lets people know that you are disciples of Jesus. It's not the t-shirt that you wear. It's not your new tattoo of a cross with thorns. It's not the jewelry that you wear. It's not your bumper sticker. It's not whether or not you show up to church on uh, Easter and Christmas Eve. No, what makes you a believer and what lets the world know that you're a follower of Jesus is actually the way that you treat other followers of Jesus because it becomes very attractive to those on the outside looking in, seeing the way that the body of Christ is unified. It becomes something that they see and they want because we all have this need to belong. And they see the pathway that they have to go. And then they look at the pathway that you're on and they see how much love, care, unity is brought in this thing we call the church, the body of Christ, in Christ-centered community. It really is the best way. That's why we experience belonging best in Christ-centered community. The church, when it is full of God's love, creates an environment of acceptance and belonging in Jesus Christ. Let's look over at another example of the first church in the book of Acts in the second chapter. Acts chapter 2 just to set the scene, this is when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, and then Peter preaches a great sermon, over 3,000 people come to faith that day in that moment, and then there was fellowship and things that happened afterwards that only perpetuated that initial salvation moment for those 3,000 people. Let's look at what happened in Acts chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 44. Scripture says this, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the environment. This is the atmosphere of people who have been transformed by the power of the gospel. This is the atmosphere. This is the environment of people who are unified, loving God. The natural response to loving God is loving what God loves, and what God loves is people. Remember, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. So we see that as these people are loving God, as they're transformed by the power of the gospel, we see they immediately begin to love one another. Scripture says they were all together having all things in common. Now, it doesn't mean they all like the same sports team. It doesn't mean that they all like the same toppings on their pizza. It just meant that what brought them together was Christ and that Christ was sufficient to change their hearts, to change their attitude, to change the way that they would have interacted. Because before, they wouldn't have cared about one another as much. Maybe they would have cared about one another at a human level, but not at an intimate relational level. Something shifted. Something's changed. What has changed? We've been brought together in the family of God because now they understood something. We're one in Christ. They would even use family terms, family language, and some churches still use that type of language today where they'll call one another 
brother or sister. Maybe you've heard someone call someone brother or sister in a uh, Christian church, and you were like, oh, those people must be related, but it's odd that they're calling them brother or sister because I have a younger sister, and I don't refer to her as Sister Emily. I just call her Emily, but they may call someone brother or sister. Why? Where does that language come from? It's the language of family. It means this person is not related to me because we have the same parents, or this person was adopted into my family, or they're even a cousin or a relative. No, it means that the thing that brings us together is actually thicker than blood, and that's spirit, a spirit bond. And that spirit bond happens when you become a Christ follower. That spirit connection happens when you are saved, when you put your faith, your trust, and your hope in Christ, when you believe in your heart, as Romans says, and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, when you call on the name of the Lord and you're saved and the Holy Spirit makes you new and now the Spirit of God now dwells within you, it's that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead that now dwells in the life of a believer, and they've been made new. And all of us who have been made new are in this community of faith, and in that community of faith, we are related, not just here on earth, but we're actually related forever. So I hope that you like the person that may be sitting next to you if they're a Christian, because they are your forever family, your forever family. You may have relatives here on the earth that if they don't know Jesus, they're only a part of your family here on the earth, but are they a part of your forever family? The only thing that's going to make them forever family is have they been made new by the power of what Christ did on the cross and placing their faith and their trust in that and being made right in the eyes of God through faith, through trusting in Him, through believing in their heart, through confessing with their mouth. When we do that, it, it, it makes us new creations, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. And that means we're brothers and sisters. We're family. They had all things in common, Acts chapter 2, verse 44 says. And then they began to care about one another to the level that they were willing to sell their own possessions in order to make sure that everyone had what they needed. So all of a sudden, the priority wasn't me just making sure my barns were full, making sure my storehouse was full, making sure my bank account was stuffed, and that I was going to be good on a rainy day, right? And I had everything I needed. Instead, the priority became, is there someone in the family of faith that has a need? Can I help provide for that need? If it costs me something, if I have to eliminate some of the things that I have, if I have to sell something or if someone needs to borrow something or if someone needs to use something, they do it with gladness and they shared things, they shared their possessions. It was just this community of care, this community of love, this community of generosity and it was a beautiful thing. They attended the temple together where they would actually gather and hear the apostles teach. They did what we do on a Sunday or on a Monday where we gather and we hear teaching and we sing songs to God and worship. They made that a huge priority. They made sure that they were there together because they just wanted to be together. It wasn't like some obligation, like when you have to show up for Thanksgiving dinner and maybe you have to show up for Easter dinner or Christmas dinner. No, it wasn't some sort of check the box, grandma's going to be mad if I don't show up thing. No, it was, I want to be there. I want to go. I want to be there because that's where my family is. That's where God's family is. And I want to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so they would gather together 
and they would worship together. They would break bread together where they would actually have the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. They would receive that together with joy and gladness in their hearts, the Scripture says. They would hang out in each other's homes. They got really close to each other and cared about one another at that level to where they were willing to open their doors up to people who were part of their family of faith and get to know them, spend time with them. They would rejoice when other Christ followers would rejoice at, at the birth of a new baby or a loved one getting married or a promotion at your job or whatever the case may be. They would celebrate the things that they celebrated. And then if something tragic happened, the loss of a loved one or something, uh, if someone came down with a, a, a sickness and they were struggling, they would rally around and support and care for each other during those times. That's the way people who love each other treat one another. If somebody was missing, they would check on them. They would go, hey, are you okay? I haven't seen you around lately. I want to make sure you're okay. They would love on each other in that way. They would encourage one another to do good works. They would encourage one another to get connected and to actually do the work of the ministry together. They would link arms and say, hey, let's do this together as the body of Christ. They would love their neighbor. They would serve others outside of their fellowship with the love of God. They were truly loving God and loving people and serving the world. And they weren't doing it because they had a t-shirt that said, love God, love people, serve the world. They weren't doing it because it was their church's slogan. They did it because they loved God. And the natural overflow of that is that they loved each other. And the natural overflow of loving people is that you're going to want to serve because you're compelled by the love of God, not out of obligation, but out of love. That's why we experience belonging best in Christ-centered community. And when you are connected to a Christ-centered family, guess what? You're not alone. You're never alone. When you are connected to a Christ-centered family, and that's really what it should be, whether that's your, your local church or the church universal, here locally at Word of Grace, we want to be connected in a way to where we care about each other as blood relatives, as family, where we're there for one another the same way we're there for our blood relatives because we love each other. We care about one another at a deep level, and it lets one another know you don't have to fall prey to the enemy's lies of either compromise or isolation because you're not alone. Because here, we see you. Here, you matter. Here, we care about you. You're not just a number in the building. You're not just another viewer online. We care about you, and we want to love you as family because we are forever family. That's why we experience belonging best in Christ-centered community. It makes me think about the Lord of the Rings movie, the third one, The Return of the King. There's a scene in there that kept coming to my mind as I was preparing this sermon. And the scene is when all of the evil forces, they're mounting their attack, they're getting ready, and all of the men of Middle-earth, they're struggling because they're so divided and there's so much infighting amongst them that no one thinks that any of the other men are going to come and help those that are, are, are being uh, uh, brought upon, all these evil forces, they, they think there's no way they're going to help. And there were uh, several people that said they, they weren't there for us before and they're not going to come this time. And so they didn't even want to ask. But one person said, let's light the beacon to let the other guys know in the other villages that we need help. And so he climbs up 
to the top of this huge stack of wood and he dumps the the oil or, or the lighter fluid on it and he lights this beacon and you can't see anything but mountains and valleys from this high place you can't see anything it just looks like a deserted land but all of a sudden once that beacon is lit asking for help asking for aid saying come help us you saw another one light and then you would see another one light and another one light. And you're like, I didn't even know there were people out there. All of a sudden, this feeling of being alone, all of a sudden, this feeling of being overwhelmed, oh, now it's beginning to disappear because what's being replaced? You're actually starting to be hopeful. You're actually starting to get excited thinking, we're not alone in this deal. And the enemy loves for you to look out on the landscape of your life and think nobody cares. The enemy loves for you to just sit there and be uh, stuck in a fence to where you're offended because maybe people weren't there for you before, a church wasn't there for you before, a pastor wasn't there for you before, someone didn't respond to your email or return your phone call. And I'm not saying those things are right, but what is not, what is equally not as right is when we get offended and stay offended. And when we stay offended, the enemy begins to win in our lives because we begin to isolate. I don't need church. Those Christian people weren't there for me. They just say they're Christians, but they're not really Christians. And we make up all these excuses, and the enemy is winning because we're staying alone. And yet the evil is, is, is encroaching on our territory, and we need those brothers and sisters. We need to light those beacons. We need to reach out for help. We need to raise our hand and say, hey, uh, I'm struggling right now. I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling isolated. And the church is supposed to rally around, just like those guys did in that movie, and come and say, yeah, you're not alone. You don't have to deal with this temptation alone. You don't have to deal with this bondage alone. You don't have to deal with this addiction alone. You don't have to deal with that shame alone. You don't have to deal with that issue in your marriage alone or that challenge with parenting your kids alone. You don't have to deal with the loss of that loved one alone. You don't have to deal with the financial burden that you're feeling alone. All of those things that the enemy wants to trap and isolate you in. The body of Christ is to be that beacon, is to be that family, is to be those who come to your aid to love you, to let you know that you are not alone. God uses the body of Christ in such a way. But to face the pressures of this world to endure temptation, to overcome compromise. Here's what we've got to do. We have a responsibility in this. We have to make every effort to connect to Christ-centered community. We have to make sure that we're doing our part. We can't just come and sit down and hope everyone just comes to our aid and everyone just comes and takes care of us and, and asks us every little question about every minute detail of our lives. No, we we need to put forth effort. And I think that's where a lot of people miss it. And that's where a lot of people miss out on connection. Now, granted, there needs to be a friendliness factor in the local church. There needs to be a welcoming factor. There needs to be people who are embracing those who uh, may be disconnected or who are newer to the fellowship. That's very important. And, and the church needs to grow in that as well. But at the same time, those who are seeking connection, those who are alone and feeling isolated, also need to put forth effort to step out in faith, to get a little uncomfortable, to step out and to, you know, maybe say hello to someone, sit down and ask them a simple question like, hey, how long have you been going to Word of Grace? Or, hey, you know, uh, my name's so-and-so, what do you do for a living? Just a, a simple lead-in question just to begin to facilitate and build relationship to begin to show up and get connected to things because Christ-centered community must be the relational priority for us. 
we experience belonging best in Christ-centered community. And the Bible speaks explicitly to this in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, where the writer of Hebrews, in the context, is talking about how to navigate persecution. The writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage the Jewish Christians how to navigate the challenges of persecution. And this is what they say in Hebrews 10 and 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So first of all, hold fast to the confession of your hope. Some translations say hold fast to the confession of your faith. That means stay strong in your faith, like keep persevering, as Romans chapter 5 talks about, enduring. Keep persevering, keep pressing on, like keep trusting in God. Don't let go of that hope. Don't be unwavering because the one who has called us, he didn't waver. So we're not supposed to waver either. Verse 23 um, lets us know that he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another to love and to good works. So we need to stir other Christians up to loving each other, which is what I'm trying to do today through this message, stir you up to love one another and to stir you up to good works as well. So we're not just hearers of the word, but we're doers of the word, as James says, where we can actively be living out our faith every day with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to a watching world that needs the hope that we have in Jesus. It's very important that we continue to stir one another up to love and good works. Verse 23, don't neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, in my Bible, the word day is capitalized with a capital D. And he's saying here that that's the second coming of Christ, the day of the Lord. And we want to make sure that we live with an eternal priority that we understand Christ is coming back and we must live with an urgency to not neglect meeting together, especially as we begin to see things in the world begin to crumble. It seems that darkness is getting darker. It seems that evil is, is gaining ground. We know when we see some of those things happening, we're going, hey, Jesus is coming back really soon. Men's hearts are getting more wicked and they're beginning to do more wicked things things throughout the world. The spirit of Antichrist is ramping up in the world. You and I have seen this. We can attest to this, and we know that that's reality. So it means that we don't need to forsake assembling. We don't need to forsake gathering. It's so important for us to gather together as followers of Christ because that's where belonging happens best, is in that Christ-centered community. And we're going to experience that in the best way possible when we prioritize the opportunities that are in front of us to gather. We have opportunities here at Word of Grace. We have services on Sunday and Monday. How important are those things to you as a believer? How important are those things to you as a family that calls themselves Christian, especially as the days grow darker? Is it important to you? Because this is where you find belonging. This is where you find some people that are hopefully somewhat sane in a world gone crazy that wants to elevate man's ideas and worship our own creation rather than the Creator. You find people who will gather here on Sundays and Mondays who want to worship the Creator, who remind you that you're not alone, who connect with you, who can encourage you, especially as the days get darker. What type of faith are we going to pass down to the next generation? Because the priority that we place on gathering man, that's going to impact the next generation. It's going to impact your kids. It's going to impact your grandchildren. 
What type of excuses are you willing to make for not participating in the gathering? For going, oh, I don't need that. I can do that at home. Just read my Bible at home. I can just, you know, pray at home. And, and yeah, that's true. And honestly, you should. But the scripture explicitly says, don't forsake assembling. Don't forsake gathering because you need to be reminded you're not alone. Some people, they, they, they just feel like they need to isolate and be alone because, well, I don't want to get hurt or because I know more than the pastor. And you may. I mean, that's a strong possibility because I'm not the smartest person on the planet. But regardless of all those excuses, Scripture explicitly says not to forsake gathering together. We need to make sure we prioritize that. That's why we have community groups at Word of Grace. Those are a great opportunity to take gathering to a whole other deeper level where you're doing life together with people. Because one of our core values at Word of Grace is that we are better together. And the reason that we believe that we're better together is because we're called to do life together. We want to live together. We want to be able to serve together. We want to be able to celebrate together, to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. We want to be able to navigate the challenges of life together. And that can only happen if we know each other. That's why I'm a firm believer that some of your most intimate, closest friendships and relationships should be within the context of the body of Christ, within the context of the church. Because who are you going to run to when things get hard? Who are you going to run to when you're struggling? Who are you going to go talk to? Who, who are you confiding in? Well, if you don't have relationship within the body of Christ or with other Christ followers, odds are you're running to another source. And is that the right source? Are you running to another place where you feel like you belong more? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you experience belonging best in Christ-centered community. That's what we try to provide opportunities to do in the local church through the structure of the weekend service and through the Monday service and the way that we provide those opportunities through community groups and even fellowships like our church picnic or other events that we may hold throughout the year. Those aren't just so we can give the church things to do because we just need to keep church people busy with activities. No, we're not some sort of just social club, country club type mentality. That's not the purpose. The purpose of us doing those things is for us to fellowship, for us to build relationship, for us to get to know each other, for us to maybe have another opportunity to get to meet someone we didn't know, and then also to give other people opportunity who have not yet heard the gospel to hear, and then also to give newer Christians, those who have recently put their faith in Christ, opportunity to connect with people who have been walking with the Lord a little longer. So that way they can encourage them and help them and walk with them and disciple them and mentor them. It's so important. And God has established this and created this. And of course Satan has a counterfeit because he wants you to feel like you've got to go his way to find belonging. But God has a pathway and he's created that within the context of Christ-centered community. That's where we experience belonging best. So here's what we need to do. We need to spend time getting to know one another. We need to spend time fellowshipping and connecting within the body of Christ. We need to be aware as Christians of those who may be new to our fellowship. It doesn't matter how big or small of a church that you're in, you can still always kind of notice the people that are newer. They may walk through the door and they may have that kind of deer in the headlights look of Oh, what's going on here? Where do I go? Where do I take my kids? I see people walking around with coffee. Like, is that free? I don't know. You know, or, or someone comes and, and they just, they look a little lost. You can pick up on that. Or if you see someone sitting by themselves, 
what a great opportunity for you to just go, hey, let me introduce myself. Even if you're not a naturally outgoing person, stretch yourself and grow and, and, and begin to look for opportunities just to be friendly, to say hello, to let someone know, hey, you belong here. We want you to feel that. We don't want to just be words we say because a lot of churches are really good at saying things and they're really poor at executing those things they say they're about. I don't want that to be said of Word of Grace. I want Word of Grace to be the type of church, and I believe that we are, and, and we're still growing. We're not perfect. I believe we're growing and being able to live out the truths that we say we're about, living out the values that we say we're about. And if we make the statement that we do life together because we're better together, if we make that statement, then we need to be able to back it up. So do we have the chops to back that up, Word of Grace? Because a lot of people will feel like you're friendly, but yeah, you may be friendly to each other, but what about to the new believer? What about to some of those people who are get, getting baptized at the picnic? Those people are new believers professing their faith in Christ and wanting to tell the world that they've made the decision to follow Jesus. What about those 11 people that we baptize at the picnic? Uh, who's walking with them? Who's getting to know them? Who's wanting to help them grow in their faith? Yeah, they can grow somewhat by attending a church service, but they're going to grow more by walking with someone who's a seasoned believer who's willing to get to know them a little bit more. That's a lot more powerful. What about when we have child dedication and you see new families with new babies on the stage and we all pray and clap and we go, oh, weren't the babies cute that day? It was funny. That one made a noise when the pastor held the mic in front of it. Oh, it was great. It was cute. Uh, those families are up here saying, hey, we've made a decision to follow Jesus and raise our child in a Christ-centered home who's helping them do that? Are we just assuming that's happening or maybe are we stepping up to the challenge and saying, hey, I saw you dedicated your child today. Uh, I've, I've parented, you know, however many kids, three kids, grow, you know, and they're all adults and I'd love to sit down with you sometime and give you some godly advice. Uh, could I take you out to coffee sometime? These are the ways that we grow as Christians. These are the ways we sharpen each other. Uh, even as you go to social events, like those who are going to be at our church picnic where Maybe they just go and spend 10 minutes with someone they've never met before. And they just say hello. I, I think we need to put this into practice. Otherwise, we're just hearing this and going, oh yeah, that's a good sermon, pastor. That's really nice. I should do better at that thing. And then we never do it. No, I think we need to find some challenge to say yes to today for us to grow. So what's that challenge for you? What's that thing that you're saying yes to today? Is it maybe someone you've always seen in the, in the chat if you're watching online and you always see that person pop up on YouTube or Facebook or uh, over on our uh, church online site where you see that person. It may not even be their real name. It may just be a, a, a pseudonym, and, and maybe you just always see them on there. Uh, maybe today's the day where you say, hey, I see you on here all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm here a lot too. Or, uh, hey, uh, could you friend me on social media? Here's my, here's my username. Or, you know, I'd just like to get to know you more. Maybe God's challenging you in that way. Whatever the case may be, look for opportunities to connect. Say yes. Maybe you need to say yes to a community group if you're not plugged into one. Maybe God's calling some of you who are more seasoned believers to actually stand up and step up and actually begin to host a community group. Whatever the case may be, whatever God's putting in your heart today, I want to challenge you to do that so that we can continue to grow, to love God, love people, and serve the world because we are going to experience belonging best in Christ-centered community.
Lord, help us do this because we can't do this without your help. You are so good to us. We thank you for your word that's forever settled and true. Thank you for showing us how your path is better than what the enemy would try to deceive us as the best way to belong. We know, Lord, according to Scripture, that the best way to belong is being connected to other believers. So we pray that be a testimony to those who are not saved, those who need to find hope in Christ. And may they find that hope today if they don't know you, if they don't have an active relationship with you. May they call out on the name of the Lord today. May they be saved. May they be drawn by your Holy Spirit. And may those of us who are more seasoned believers, those who have been walking with the Lord, may we step out and connect with them to disciple and and mentor and build friendships and relationships with them to help them grow in their faith. May we just continue to be a church that loves one another well. Let us be a church that loves you well. Let us be a church that loves the new believer and the newcomer and the outsider well. Help us to continue to serve well. Let us be good representatives of the hope that we have in Christ. Let us be good representatives of the gospel that we have so freely received. We thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.